Hello, hello. You are listening to the Single Mother Survival Guide podcast, a podcast for single mothers created by a single mother. I'm here today with Rachel Natoli, a single mum who I met through my local single mums group. She's a mother of three-year-old twins and became a single mum a little over a year ago. I've always really admired Rachel because she's come out of a domestic violence relationship and since coming through that, she's really made it her mission to help other women who've gone through the same thing. In the time that I've known her, she's never tried to hide her experiences or anything like that and she's been really open about it, which I think is just fantastic because it brings the subject of domestic violence to people's attention and it makes people who've gone through the same thing feel that they're not alone. Hi, Rachel. Thanks so much for coming onto the show. Hey, thank you for having me. So I just wanted to start by asking you if you could tell me a bit about the relationship history with your ex. When you first started dating and then got married, there was, I'm guessing, no evidence or indication or, you know, anything like that, that he was a perpetrator of domestic violence. How far into the relationship did that come about? So um, the first time he actually showed aspects of being a domestic violence perpetrator was about two months into our relationship or two months after I'd moved to Australia. Um, so we'd probably been together for about six months in total by then. So you met in the UK? We actually met in Australia. So I came over here on holiday, we met, and then I went back. Um, I handed in my notice as a primary school teacher, rented out my house, sold my car and moved back here to be with him. Um, and yeah, I'd been here for probably less than two months when he first started showing signs of being controlling and then some small amounts of violence. Um, and it just escalated from there. And um, he was very up and down and we would go through good periods and bad. But one thing that sets him apart from other DV perpetrators is that he is never sorry when he had, oh, he had really? done something. So a lot of the DV perpetrators are sorry afterwards and that's what pulls you back in. He wasn't. He used to use um, guilt and control to pull you back in. So yeah. it's all your fault. Absolutely. So I've been in a domestic violence relationship myself years ago, and that was before I had my daughter, wasn't my daughter's father. And so I found it a really big shock because I really loved him. And for me, it was about three months into the relationship. And I was so shocked that it happened. And I just, I just really couldn't believe it. And the first time I was sort of like, oh my God, did that just happen? And like you said, he was really, really sorry about it. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, that was just a, crazy one off and I gave it another chance and that sort of happened a couple of times and before I knew it I didn't know what I was in and I was like what the hell am I doing in this relationship and is that how it was for you were you really shocked the first time absolutely and I think the difference for me was um as I was saying to you before um most domestic violence perpetrators seek out strong independent women that's what they're attracted to and the reason is because they're more of a challenge if they um, went out with weak women, there wouldn't be a challenge there. So they're actually wanting to destroy you as a person. I was saying, I was telling Rachel how I found it so surprising because I, I see myself as a really strong woman. And when that happened, I was sort of like, what? Because I'd always look at people who are in a domestic violence relationship and I'd be like, why can't they find the strength to just get out of it? You know, like, and then suddenly I was in it and I was like, oh my God, I can totally see this now. And I was telling you about how, I thought, you know, you're such a strong woman as well. And how do these strong women get in these Right. And I, and I was a very strong, independent woman, except that I'd given up everything and moved to the other side of the world for him. So I didn't know. I had one friend in Melbourne 
And that was it. I didn't know anybody else in the whole of Australia. And so I felt like I was trapped and I felt like I had to make it work. There's no way I was going to admit to failure Mm. and go back home or it didn't work out with him. I needed to make it work. I needed him to be the one for me because I'd given up so much to be with him. And so I just kept turning a blind eye. And so how long did you tell your family or your friends that anything was happening? No, um, I told some of my friends in the UK, um, my best friend knew, but there wasn't much she could do. And she knew, she knew how I felt about the fact I didn't want to leave. Yeah. Um, but I was with him for seven and a half years in total on and off. Um, and, you know, the statistic is that domestic violence victims leave on average a minimum of five times before they leave for good. Really? And um, we, I left him, so we were due to get married. We got engaged and we were due to get married. And I secretly rented out an apartment in Bondi, which was close to where I was nannying at the time. And one day when I knew he was going to be out for the day, I packed up and left and walked out on the wedding. Wow. And um, within a couple of weeks, he'd wormed his way back in. In less than six months, I'd moved back into the house. And the day I moved back in, he started all over again. That day? Um, yeah, that day. Oh, my God. And um, I knew I'd made a massive mistake, but I didn't feel like I could. I had the strength to leave again. So I ended up getting married and... Um, he um, had an affair, which he started on his Bucks night. What? So I found out a couple of months after we got married that he was having an affair. Um, he smashed um, a photo frame through the TV screen. And um, basically we split up for a while after that. Then we uh, reconciled for a short time, during which I fell pregnant with the twins once he found out I was pregnant, I found out he'd started having his affair again and we broke up again until I was about six, seven months pregnant. And then he moved back into the um, property that was owned by his father. So I'd stayed in that place the whole time and the agreement was that I was going to move out and he would move back in, but he came back early and I allowed him to because it was his dad's property. And from there, he just started controlling me again. And, and I was, you know, seven months pregnant with twins. I wasn't in a in a state to be as strong as I had been before, even though I was in a much better financial state than I ever had been with him. Mm. I just, I wanted so much for my children to have their father involved in their lives. And Mm. I knew if I wasn't with him, that wouldn't happen. Mm. So I stayed with him and I ended up staying with him until the boys were uh, two and a half. Yeah, right or just under two and a half, and I just couldn't take any more. There were two incidents last year. There was one in February and then the final incident in April. And I think from the November before, I knew in my head that it was over and I'd finally got to that stage of closure where I knew Mm. it was over. I just needed one more thing. I just needed the building blocks to add up to to make me leave. And it was only during the final incident where um, obviously there was a – um, quite a bad physical assault and I sat down that night brushed my hair and it fell out in clumps where he dragged me around the room by my hair that I sat in front of our mirrored wardrobes and thought how much more does he need to do to you yeah before you leave if you love the children that are asleep in that room next door you yeah. need to go now oh oh it's just so awful did the boys ever witness anything of what was happening 
They, um, well, they saw him. He used to throw. He's quite, so he wasn't always so physically violent. I mean, there were, there were several occasions, but he would, um, use terror as a way to control. So he would throw remote controls and phones and iPads and laptops, whatever he could get his hands on at that time. And so they saw, they saw him throw remote controls and things before. Um, one of the boys walked in. Um, when he was physically assaulting me in February, but they didn't see the physical assault in April. Oh my gosh. It's so hard, isn't it? And I think, especially when you're pregnant, like, because I had quite a tumultuous relationship, like, during my pregnancy as well. And it's crazy because you have this, like, vision that when you're pregnant one day, you're going to have this perfect family and everything's going to be lovely. Absolutely. You're going to have this husband who's completely in love with you and, you know, it's going to be amazing and you're going to be doing yoga on the beach and, you know, like glowing <laughs> with happiness during this pregnancy. And I just had the worst pregnancy because I felt so sick and, like, I just put on so much weight because the only way I could stop feeling nauseous is by eating constantly. And then on top of that, um, that was feeling physically unwell, I just felt just in complete emotional turmoil it was just you know we broke up two or three times during pregnancy and like all I kept thinking and why I kept going back to my ex even though it wasn't a domestic violence situation but I just kept thinking like this is not how my life is supposed to be like how did I end up like this you know like it was supposed to be happy and it wasn't supposed to be like this and you kind of think you have to make this work so that you have your kind of happy absolutely I mean I I spent the first six months of my pregnancy alone and they were the best six months I mean I had my best friend supporting me and she's the one she was my birth partner um you know she's the one who came to all the birthing classes with me she's the one who was there at all the scans and all the other appointments yeah and then he came back and he is um, diagnosed bipolar and he basically just couldn't handle the later stages of my pregnancy even though I was in you know, great health and there was no issue at all. Yeah. Um, he would... What, just the thought of becoming a father? I think or? so. I don't know, but he was out of control for the last two months. I mean, he would go and get... I had a full-length body pillow to sleep on because obviously I was so big with twins and he would go and get that, drag it into the bathroom and urinate all over it. What? He would smash food on the walls. He assaulted me while um, I was when I was about eight months pregnant, eight and a half months pregnant, and we had painters painting the nursery, he was just out of control. I mean, every day was a a living hell. That is insane. But I just, I I had searched for somewhere to rent and there just wasn't anywhere. I just could not find anywhere that was suitable for us to live. Oh my God. And so did you ever call the police on any of these occasions? No, not, not in that, not when I was pregnant. I just, you know, they'd been involved and when he put the photo frame through the TV, they, they took an AVR against him. Yeah. And then in the last year, in the February, I'd, um, spoke to the police, but I refused to make a statement. I just wanted them to be aware of what was going on again. And then in the April, I called them and, and took out, and they made a full statement and they took out an AVR on my Far out. So, I know for women in a domestic violent relationship, the thought of actually leaving is quite difficult. And I know for you, like you had a lot of time and, you know, going back and forward. Um, But it's hard because you don't know how to do it. And the potential repercussions of leaving in your mind are quite terrifying. Absolutely. 
So I can't even imagine how terrifying it would be to make that decision and actually leave when you've got children. Like, how did you overcome that fear and what did you actually logistically do? Like, did you tell him that you were going to leave? No, I literally, like, when I left in April, I literally had no choice. I um, I was also assaulted by his brother the week before because his brother lived downstairs and it's an old townhouse and he switched our power off one morning and when I went to switch it back on, he came outside and assaulted me what um so I had no choice but to report him to the police because I couldn't have two children wake up in the morning with no power so I couldn't provide any food for them is the whole family like this no he I think um he had just got too involved with what was going on and and I had I had actually spoken to him the week before and said whatever happens just stay out of it you know just focus on being an uncle to the Mm. children Mm. don't get involved in what's going on between David and I but he just couldn't stay out of it I mean um, so, um, yeah, after that, I just didn't feel particularly safe living there. Um, I had already, um, been to housing New South Wales and applied for housing, yeah. but we knew that that was going to take about a month. And so one of my amazing friends, Nadine, um, her husband is a real estate agent and he was selling a property in Wallara, a one bedroom place, and it was sitting empty. And so they spoke to the owners, they, they're friends with the owners, and the owners said that we could move in there um, only for three and a half weeks. It was a very short settlement time, but it just gave us somewhere to go. Yeah. So um, the day that we were due to move out, um, I had to go meet David at the police station because he wanted me to hand over some of his things. So I had no problem. I went and had those over. I didn't tell him that we were moving out. And, so um, did he think he was moving out? Or? No, he'd, he'd already been staying out of the place because the AVO didn't restrict him from coming back, but he just he knew it wasn't a good idea for him to be in the same house. He'd been staying with his mom and his brother, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah. And then um, that day, um, as I was walking home, he had actually set up a trap. And so I was approached by somebody who handed me an official eviction notice. What? Um, so... Um, yeah, his, he'd convinced his dad to serve us with an eviction notice and it did give us some time to move out, but I had already made you know, that decision. Yeah. We'd already organized a removal van and everything. So in my mind, it just showed the kind of people they were as a family that they were willing to evict their grandchildren and see yeah. them out on the streets. Oh um, so that evening the removal van came and we moved um, to Wallara for a few weeks. And then after three and a half weeks, housing New South Wales still hadn't sorted themselves out and we were officially homeless. So we presented it as homeless to Housing New South Wales. We were put in a motel for a couple of days and then I went back and because I am so strong, I fought and argued and told them that a motel was not a suitable place for me to be living with um, three two-year-old twins. How long is that supposed to – how long do they put people in Until they can find you a refuge or until your housing application has been approved. Well, the housing application – I had applied for a program called Start Safely. So Start Safely is a program that Housing New South Wales run um, where there's been domestic violence and there has to be an AVO in place. Um, and that's normally approved in 28 days and then you can start looking for, so it's basically a private rental program. So they look at your affordability ratings, they assess it on your income and then they will tell you, right, you can go and find an apartment for, for example, 400 a week. You cannot go over that amount and they then pay half of your rent for up to three years. Oh, okay. 
Um, so I was waiting for that, but David had reported me to Housing New South Wales and said I was hiding lots of money in England, which I wasn't. And so that put my application on hold. Oh so he caused gosh. as much trouble for us as he could. He reported me to Centrelink, you name it. He tried to get us in trouble just by fabricating as many lies as he could. So oh effectively, God. he was trying to stop his children from having a, a home. Yeah. So anyway, once we'd um, moved out of the motel, we were put in a refuge. Um, and then... Um, we were there for, uh, just over three weeks. Um, and after about two weeks, we were supposed to go back to England on a trip that had been planned when David and I were still living together. And the night before we were due to fly, the federal police contacted me and said that he'd added us to the watch list. Oh, and he also sent me a nice smug text message. Oh my God. Um, so we went to court to fight it the next day, but we were not allowed to go because the family court said that because I was escaping a domestic violence relationship, because I didn't have a job and because I didn't have any money and because my family lived in the UK, I was too big a risk to leave the country and they refused to allow us to go back. Even though we had return flights, even though I just rented an apartment and I could show them my lease, it wasn't enough. So unfortunately, there's still a lot of issues within the family court where domestic violence goes against you, not always in your favor. Yeah. I know. It's it's crazy. Like I've heard of all sorts of stories where it just seems to just almost take a phone call. It's just it's so easy to get someone on the airport watch list and it's just like Well, they actually say that the fact that he was able to get us on was the biggest miscarriage of justice of all time that it should never he should never have been allowed. He basically fabricated so many lies to be able to get us on. And that we should have been removed immediately. But unfortunately, that day, that judge just didn't agree. And that's the way it goes. And then you lose the money for the flights and everything. Or did he have to pay for that? No, he doesn't pay anything. So basically, I um, the flights I had held in cyberspace for a while. And then I ended up, because I knew we weren't going to be taken off, he's not willing to negotiate us being taken off. And it's something that legal aid can't fight as a standalone issue. So legal aid, um, if I got a private solicitor, they could try and apply for us to be taken off, but legal aid will only address, um, the watch list when it becomes the final issue that you're dealing with, when everything else has been sorted out. Um, so I had to cancel the flights and say, yeah, I lost a lot of money. That's insane. Well, I think what's sad is, and I think what, um, one issue that I'd like my charity to kind of look at in the future is approaching airlines to say if this is the case is it not possible for these cancellation fees to be waived so at least you get your full refund I mean because they kept over a third of the money and you know as they would for any normal cancellation but this wasn't a cancellation by choice this was enforced by a a legal you know by the family law court so that there should be some exception to the rule and I think it's something I'd like us to look into in future yeah for sure so what happened what happened after you split up in terms of contact with your ex? I mean, I imagine your boys are still quite young, so you have to actually have, you know, live contact with your ex. Yeah, so he was very um, uninvolved when we lived together. He never fed them. He never bathed them. He never had them by himself. Um, the only time he would look after them would be when they were asleep. So I could put them to sleep in the day or at night and possibly go to the gym or go out 
you know, with yeah. a friend, but he couldn't take care of them by himself. He never took them out to the playground by themselves. And if we were going out to a class or to a soccer lesson, sometimes he would come and watch, but he would basically go and get in the car and I would have to bring the boys down and the pram and everything else and strap them in. He didn't know how to strap them in the car. Nothing. Didn't know how to put the pram together. Nothing. What was that about? Is that lack of interest or la- or lack of, or like sort of fear of doing the wrong thing? No, like I think lack of interest and just, you know, kind of an old fashioned Women. Um, Italian thing that, yeah, yeah, it's the woman's job to look after them and that he didn't want those children in the first place, so why should he bother to look after them? Oh um, so, yeah, he'd never done anything. So I literally was a single mum from from the day that I decided to, to go ahead with my pregnancy. But um, when I left, I decided that the best thing would be for us to be civil. Mm. And I think only once we'd left did he realise how much he actually loved the the boys and so he would call me and or message me and say he was missing them and I let him see them quite a bit in that um initial couple of weeks and when we were living still living in Wallara um because they would have only been two yeah and so we would go to the um class at Ramwick Library and then I would let him stay there with them for you know an hour afterwards um one day he took them to a playground by himself for an hour while I went to the gym and then I had to speak to housing New South Wales so I ended up being a bit bit later back but so he still hadn't had them for more than an hour by himself but once he placed us on the watch list oh probably just before that we'd had um an argument at a and when I picked them up from the playground one day because I told him about our housing situation and said, you know, you're not paying any child support. If you can pay some child support and housing can see that, they can up our affordability rating and we can probably afford to stay in the eastern suburbs. Yeah. If you're not willing to do that, we won't be able to afford to stay in the eastern suburbs. And he basically went crazy and then messaged me. Um, I, I messaged him straight after he left to reiterate the conversation because I know he just fabricates lies and he messaged me the next day saying he felt threatened by me. Um, So um, after that we had no contact and once the boys were on the watch list it became a legal issue. So I then had no contact with him at all and he had no contact with the children. So he ended up not seeing the children for... I think for four months, I'm sure it was 16 or 17 weeks in total that he didn't see them. And then um, he was um, given supervised access. So he just sees them once a month at the moment. Right. And I'm quite happy to be honest that I now have to never see my ex again, the one that I was in a domestic violence relationship with. But for me, it's been five years and I still struggle. Like I still have nightmares and wake up crying sometimes. And I mean, for me, I should have seen a psychologist originally when that happened, but I never did. But um, so I've only just started seeing accounts sort of in the last few months because of that, actually. But how, how do you manage? Like, how do you, how do you manage to not be frightened? And, you know, if you have fear or if you have to have contact with him, like it must be really hard to have to see this guy all the time. Well, I insisted in court that at changeover we must must both be present. So normally um, because of the AVO and and the assault charges, um, the supervisor would come and take the children from me and take them to him. But I didn't feel that that was in the best interest of the children. I wanted them to see that everything was civil between us and that even though we didn't live together anymore, we were still friends in in their minds. Um, 
And um, he wasn't very happy to do that. But I said, if you're not willing to do that, then there won't be any contact. Yeah. Um, so he agreed to it. And now we're at a stage where we're trying to to work towards more frequent visits and hopefully unsupervised in the future. Um, but it's it's hard to see him. I don't um, I don't have as many nightmares as I used to. I, I went for a period where I had a lot of nightmares. I have regular counselling, so mm. I go to counselling every fortnight. Um, and but there are lots of triggers, and you know, I just I recently read um, a really great book um, called A Perfect Stranger, which is about a domestic violence relationship and a domestic violence survivor and it's a very very well written book but unfortunately it brings back a lot of triggers for me and so what happens is then I end up emotionally exhausted for a week or two um and that that's the reality is you know I will go and do speaking events and tell my story and then I'm exhausted afterwards. It's just an emotional exhaustion afterwards. It is because you have to. Um, really and the same it. with having to deal with him. If I have to speak to him on the phone or I have to see him, then I'm emotionally exhausted afterwards. It's just it, it's really really draining to have to deal with it. Yeah, I can imagine. All right. But you've really taken a horrible experience and turned it into a really positive thing by advocating domestic violence prevention and support through your charity. Now, is it the Lakahi Le- 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 Foundation? Yeah. So tell me about that. How did that come about? So um, basically um, I when I left, um, when I first had the incident in February last year, I um, went to see another organisation and I was assigned a caseworker in preparation for leaving. And when I finally left in April, we, we started working together. Um, or she started supporting me and Rhiannon was amazing. Um, she was there for me every step of the way. She was really supportive and she was always there to listen and she still is now. Yeah. And, um, I decided that everybody needed to have a Rhiannon. Mm-hmm. Everybody needed to have the kind of caseworker I had that was there for them mm-hmm. to support them every step of the way. And I thought that, you know, there's lots of, um, organizations that have caseworkers within their organization, but Lakahi are just going to be focused on case management. Yeah. So basically that is what we want to do. Um, and Lakahi means unity and harmony. It's a Hawaiian word. So the unity of working with all the other organizations and the harmony that we're going to bring to their lives, to so the women's lives. if someone was in a domestic violence relationship and came and spoke to you guys, you could sort of help them with resources, like where to go and who to speak to yeah, and where to get assistance. Basically and- – um, Okay, so basically um, Lakahi's um, purpose is that we want to enable women who've been victims of domestic violence to regain their independence and freedom through our ongoing case management support. So what that means is that somebody will come to us when they are ready to leave um, and, and possibly before they're actually ready to leave so that we're aware of their situation and we're ready to start supporting them. As soon as they're ready to leave, we're there to hold their hands and guide them through that process. So that means we may take them to Centrelink, you know, and we actually ha- want to have the capability that we can go to their Centrelink appointment with them. Yeah. Um, we can go to Housing New South Wales and see what they're entitled to from them. We can talk to them about what they're entitled to from victim services because a lot of people don't know no. if you've actually been a victim 
of crime, which could be an assault, yeah. um, you are entitled to up to $5,000 to refurbish your home. Mm. You can get a $1,500 recognition payment if there's been a, a crime of domestic violence. I only heard about the victim services about three or four months ago. Yeah. I and I think idea. it can and be they, they do, up to five years yeah, or Yeah, I think it like might that. be 10 actually. And they do 22 hours of um, free counseling as well. Right. So you can apply for counseling through yeah. them. That's who I get my counseling yeah. through as well. Um, but there's so much more as well. So there's domestic violence support groups out there. So I actually went to a domestic violence support group um, close to where I live in the Sutherland Shire and, um, you know, and, and, just spent time every week with women who'd been through similar things, completely different DV situations. I mean, there's yeah. so much, so many different types of domestic violence. Um, when people think of domestic violence, they always think about the physical. Yeah. And now they're starting to think about the emotional side. Yeah. But what they forget as well is there's a financial side yes. and there's a sexual side too. So there's all four different types. So, you know, they'd all been through different experiences. There's art therapy classes you can go to. Mm. There's childcare available through different organizations. Yeah. Um, you might need um, legal advice so we can help you approach legal aid. Would, you, would you go to court as well with people who wanted support? We can go, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we amazing. can sit with them in court. So Rhiannon has been to court with me before. I only asked her to come once, but yeah. um, she's been to court with me before. There's WDVCAS, which is the Women's Domestic Violence Call Advocacy Service. So if you have assault charges or there's an AVO, they will support you through that. But it's just about knowing all of these things that you're entitled to, even such minor things as um, just knowing that you can get a rebate on your electricity. Yeah. not Nothing to do with because being of, domestic violence, but being a single parent uh, yeah. or, you know, yeah. there's all these little things that you can tap into, mm. which you might not be aware of. And, and, you know, what we want to do is make sure that they've got someone who's telling them about all those things, but they've got someone who's there to fight for them, who's mm. there to say, you know, yep, it's okay. We know you're having a rough day. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and people who've been through it exactly it just help immensely exactly and i think what we hope is that our all of our caseworkers will have some kind of counseling background so they won't actually do the counseling for their um clients but they'll be there to support them in a in a counseling type way yeah and also as a friend sort exactly. of exactly yeah that's exactly. amazing so as part of those resources, are there any that are sort of particularly aimed at mums or is are there most of the resources sort of general domestic violence, you know, assistance? I mean, you know, as a, I don't know if there's much difference if you're a mother or not. Do you know what I mean? But like, yeah, I think, I think a lot of them, I think a lot of um, women that are leaving a DV relationship that need that support tend to be mums mm. because they may have given up work or they may only be yeah. working part-time whereas a lot of the and you div- rely financially a bit on your partner exactly and a lot of the dv survivors that are you know single women tend to still be in full-time work so they don't necessarily need as much support i mean we're we're happy to help them we're, we're certainly yeah. not not ruling them out in any way but they don't seem to need as much support but absolutely that you know they're they're so much more reliant financially and the other thing that lakahi want to do that's I guess sets us apart a little from the other case management um, organizations that exist is that we don't just want to help you to leave. We want to help you to get back on your feet. So we really want to help you look at where you want to go with your life. Do you want to go back to your old job? Do you want to work full time? Do you want to 
be at home with your children for a bit longer? Do you need to retrain? Do you need to go back to uni or to TAFE or, you know, where is it you're wanting to go and really focus so that they can move on with their future so that they can become totally independent and and have that freedom in their lives again? Yeah, that's so amazing. It's so great. And I think when someone goes through that, it's really – it must be really important to just think of it as like a new chapter. What can I do? I can do whatever I want, you know, and maybe people want to have a new career or whatever. Like, Absolutely. Or sometimes they have to. And, you know, the, you know exactly. Financially, mm. they might have to go back to work yeah. even though they don't want to, but at least we can support them to do that and support them to get there. And they know they've got somebody that they can rely on. Yeah, that's wonderful. So how would someone get in contact with you at the moment? So at the moment, we're just in in basic stages. So we're just in the process of building our website and we will have an app as well. Oh, fantastic. Um, But at the moment, if anybody wants any support or advice on domestic violence, then they can just message me through Facebook or they can call me on my on my phone on my mobile I don't mind like I quite often get DV referrals and at the moment obviously look I don't have any case case workers on board because we're just in the planning stages still yeah but I just refer them on to to who I think can help them okay great well we'll put your details then in the show notes and then if people want to perfect and I'm happy for them to call me yeah that's wonderful um just a couple more questions what would you say to another mum in particular in a domestic violence relationship who was struggling with leaving an abusive relationship with making that decision or, you know, logistically? I think it's a really difficult one. I mean, we all know that they'd be better off out of the relationship, but you have to come to that place by yourself. You really do, don't you? So I think, you know, where I lost lots of friends along the way and, and I lost my best friend because she just couldn't bear once the – children were born she couldn't bear to watch me go through it when I had children anymore she'd watched it for years and she just couldn't bear to watch it anymore so she decided to walk away Mm. and that was really really tough Mm. and I I can't say that she did the right thing and I can't say she did the wrong thing she did what was right for her at the time and I think that she hoped that would make me leave but it didn't Mm. I just wasn't in that place yeah you have to get there by yourself you really do and I you know it took me seven and a half years to get there it takes some people a lot less and it takes some people a lot more and unfortunately some people never get there all you can do as a friend is try and support them as much as you can but for those women that are struggling to live I'd say you know there's so much help out there if you can think about a life where you don't live in fear every day whether that's in physical fear or you know fear of being controlled or fear of having your finances controlled in some way what an awesome life for your children. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately you can still have a, a civil relationship with your ex. And if you can't, that's on them. It's not on you. Yeah. You do the best that you can for your children. And there is a way out and you will be happy again. Like, absolutely. You will. Absolutely. I never felt happier or more free than after I left. Yeah. W- within a couple of weeks, you know, as soon as we'd found our own place to live, I was so happy and so free. And all of my friends noticed the difference and they could see my old self coming back to life. Yeah. It's just a bit of relief. I yeah. Guess. It just, I mean, it just drains you. You just yeah. cannot be yourself in those relationships. No, you do. You, you sort of lose yourself and Absolutely. it takes time. To and you're constantly you. on eggshells. You're constantly mm. living in fear. It's just not healthy and it's not healthy for the children. No, definitely not. Um, last question. So apart from dealing with the relationship breakdown, how have you adjusted to being a single mom? It's been a bit over a year now. (laughs) Well, I think I was, I was pretty much a single mom. (laughs) I was pretty much a single mom beforehand, but the, uh, I think like the, the most 
fantastic difference for me is that when I leave the house in the morning and I come back in the afternoon, the house is exactly the same. <laughs> he didn't leave it in a mess in between. Um, we have the freedom to do what we want. Obviously, yeah. the hardest struggle for us is fin- financially. Yeah. You know, we don't, he doesn't work and he doesn't, um, give any child support we actually have an exemption from child support and I should say that that you don't actually have to claim child support where there's been domestic violence you can apply for an exemption because he doesn't work it would it's not like we're losing out by him not giving us money they would literally be taking money from his benefit yeah taking money off my benefit taking money from his and giving it to me so we'd be no no better off financially so I applied for an exemption so that I don't have to deal with that side of things with him yeah um but it's hard you know it's hard to cope financially raising two children I think most single moms would probably agree that that is the hardest exactly especially when you have more than one child I mean I I feel like I'm constantly living to a budget and doing budgeting and finance (laughs) calculations in my head absolutely and And I want my children to be able to go to shows and you know exactly classes and have the best experience in life and you know eat healthy organic food and it all costs money and and it's hard and it's hard not having support you know Mm -hmm. all of my family are in in the UK and none of David's family are involved so you know that makes it tough but ultimately I think you know you do as a as a single mum we do the best job that we can as any parent does and you know as long as you're healthy and happy and your children are healthy and happy that that's That's all all they need yeah they just need to be safe and they need to be healthy and happy yeah i completely agree all right that's it thank you so much for having me thank you so much for coming rachel see you bye and that was another episode of the single mother survival guide podcast thank you so much for listening i'd love it if you could um rate us and write a review if you like in itunes and all the notes um, related to what Rachel talked about and the Lakai Foundation and her contact details will be in the show notes, which you can find on www.singlemothersurvivalguide.com. Speak to you next time. Bye.